This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is contacttalkradio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on tunein.com, ping.fm, and upsnap mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to Living Fearlessly with your host, Lisa McDonald. My mama told me when I was young, we're all on superstars. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so very much for joining me, rejoining me here again on this lovely Friday morning. My name is Lisa McDonald, host of Living Fearlessly with the Contact Talk Radio Network. Listenership spans to 145 countries, 220 TV radio terrestrial satellites, and the potential for millions of iTunes downloads. Once again, I am joined by yet another phenomenal guest. My guest today is a gentleman by the name of Dave Sanderson. So before turning it over to unscripted dialogue, as I always do with my guests, I'm just going to plug a little bit about who Dave is. When U.S. Airways Flight 1549 ditched into the Hudson River on January 15, 2009, Dave Sanderson knew he was exactly where he was supposed to be. The last passenger off the back of the plane on that fateful day, he was largely responsible for the well-being and safety of others, risking his own life in frigid water to help other passengers off the plane. Despite the hazard to himself, Sanderson thought only of helping others and emerged from the wreckage with a mission to encourage others to do the right thing. Sanderson shares the story of Flight 1549, revealing the inner strength it took to make it through the day. Since the miracle on the Hudson, considered to be the most successful ditching in aviation history, Dave Sanderson has built a career as a motivational speaker, mentor, and author. Currently, Sanderson averages over 100 speeches, speeches a year for major corporations across the United States, as well as overseas, including Baylor, Boys and Girls Clubs of America, BP, Canada Life, Delta Airlines, Entrepreneur Society of America, E-Women Network, EO, and Toyota. In his presentations, he shares the 12 pillars of resourcefulness, precepts that enabled him to become a top producer and some of the largest sales organizations in the world and ultimately enabled him to survive the plane crash. In addition, Sanderson has appeared at countless fundraisers that have raised over 12.3 million U.S. dollars for the American Red Cross. He continues to donate his speaker services to the organization as an expression of gratitude for the care he received from the first person he saw after he was rescued and transferred to land in New Jersey, a Red Cross volunteer with a blanket. In his new book, Moments Matter, Sanderson discusses lessons learned from the miracle on the Hudson and how to take a potentially tragic experience and turn it into an opportunity to survive and thrive. A first-hand account of his experience aboard U.S. Airways Flight 1549 appears in the book Brace for Impact, Miracle on the Hudson, Survivors Share Their Stories of Near Death and Hope for New Life by Dorothy Furman and Kevin Quirk. The movie Sully, directed by Clint Eastwood and starring Tom Hanks, is premiered September 9, 2016, which tells the backstory 
of Captain Chesley Sullenberger and the Miracle on the Hudson, which Dave was the last passenger to deplane. He has also participated in a new documentary produced, which is scheduled to be aired on PBS in 2018. Sanderson was born in Peoria, Illinois, and grew up in Hillsboro, Ohio, and Winchester, Virginia. He attended James Madison University and was graduated with a BBA in international business. He began his professional career in restaurant management and went on to work as a national sales manager for ADP, sales manager for KPMG, senior vice president of sales for Genesis, 10, application sales manager for Oracle, and security director for Tony Robbins, an Anthony Robbins company. Oh, my goodness. Welcome, Dave Sanderson. How are you? Well, Lisa, I am, I am overwhelmed to hear everything that I just did, so thank you for having me. Wow. Wow. Well, thank you. Well, I mean, that's your story. That's your journey. Those are all the things that you have uh, brought and imparted to the world. So I want to say thank you on behalf of everybody whose lives you've had positively impacted. Uh, and long before even the miracle on the Hudson, it sounds like you've been a real leader and demonstrating that for quite some time before that incident occurred. So I just want to say thank you on behalf of everyone for everything that you do to make this world a lighter and brighter place. So thank you, Dave Sanderson. Well, thank, thank you very much. I'm, I'm blessed and I'm very humbled to be able to do what I do right now, and I'm honored to be with you today, Lisa. Well, thank you. I very much appreciate that. So, you know, of course, one of the first things, and this is, again, unscripted, uh, but what I, I'm always interested to know from my guests is the inception of their journey. So even long before how everybody around the world would now know you and what you're recognized for in terms of being a household name, you know, who were you before that? Who, who was Dave Sanderson before that, and what is the contrast since the incident? Well, well, that's a great, that's a really intriguing question. I really appreciate you asking that because, you know, I, I always thought that I was, you know, a, a, an achiever, a top producer in what I did, whatever I did, whether it was within sales or when I was head of security for Tony Robbins or being a, having a family of four, do, four kids, three daughters and a son and a wife, but uh, – I think what's, what changed dramatically after that is I, I really all of a sudden understood my mission in this world. And mm -hmm. uh, once, and I think that's what, you know, I, I, I laid my mission statement out in 1994, and I talk about that when I speak. But what happened was is, you know, you, don't, you, know, you put it out there, but you're not realizing it, so you don't think you're accomplishing anything. But all of a sudden, maybe God's delays are not God's denials, and maybe I needed 15 more years of, of learning and experiencing things to be able to realize my mission. I think that's exactly what transpired on January 15, 2009. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And so, you know, as a result of that, Dave, I mean, I just want to say I think it's amazing that for what you have endured and for what you've experienced, you know, the mindset that you have that you continue to embody and looking at the lesson, looking at the gift and how you can then take that forward in uh, encouraging other people to use those types of situations that some could deem a tragedy, some could deem a crisis. You know, people get post-traumatic stress disorder. People succumb to fear all the time. And yet what you've done is you've taken something that's happened to you, and very unselfishly you have, again, in the incident itself, you thought about other people before yourself. And that's with you having a wife. That's with you having children. That's with you having responsibilities to other people in your daily life. So, you know, what would you say to the listeners, you know, for anybody who is on the fence? And I ask my guests this quite 
quite openly, quite candidly, and quite consistently. You know, a lot of people look upon what they've personally gone through, and not everybody can relate to your experience. It's a very unique experience for sure. Uh, but for people who have struggled with whatever's happened in their life, call it abuse, call it divorce, call it bankruptcy, uh, call it you know, a whole bunch of things, childhood, parenting. Um, what would you say to people who are still stuck in that mindset of, I don't know how to make this work for me. I, I, I don't know how to help other people and empower other people as a result of what's transpired in my life. What would you say to the listeners, Dave? Well, thank you very much for asking me that question because, you know, one of the things I talk about frequently now, Lisa, is I believe everybody in their life, whether it's you, me, the listeners, whoever's listening today, will have what I call a personal plane crash in their life. Just like you mentioned, a fire, a flood, a hurricane, a tornado, something's going to happen in each one of our lives that's going to put us in that position of what are you going to do and what are you going to do with it? So, you know, I was very honored earlier this year to uh, do a TED Talk up in Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. I was very, I wanted to do this TED Talk about post-traumatic growth syndrome, but I also wanted to do it outside the United States, but I wanted to make this a bigger picture because what I'm finding out and is, 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 is this is not a United States problem. Every, there's people all over the world are challenged with this, and that came to light with me about, about a year ago when I got a phone call from somebody who knew somebody who survived the avalanche over Nepal uh, a couple years ago. She goes to Ottawa, and she, wow. was, ha- she was having a challenge, and her challenge was is, is she had survivor guilt. She mm-hmm. had 20 of her friends had passed away, and she survived, and she was struggling with it. So I've been, I talked to her about this because one of the first interviews I did, Lisa, after uh, the plane crash had happened in Buffalo where everybody perished, if, and I did it in Montreal, and the gentleman asked me, he said, why do you think you lived and they died? And it was one of those things that smacked me across my face. I'm like, well, it just wasn't my time. I guess I have a bigger mission right now to do, and it, uh, and, and I, it wasn't my time. So I talk about post-traumatic growth syndrome. How, how do you grow from a traumatic life event instead of going into a depressed state or, as you mentioned, PTSD? Mm-hmm. And working with Tony Robbins and all the experiences I've had and talking to so many leaders around the world, I, I, there's a few different things that, 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 that happen to make, help those people who grow instead of going into those states. And what I talk about in my TED Talk is how to manage your mind or how to manage your state, the meaning you're attached to do it, and using other people's references, you can actually grow from a traumatic life event instead of going to a depressed state. And if you saw the movie Sully, which hopefully some people have watched, we yes. found out, and we found out, and a lot of us sort of knew what was going on, that Captain Sullenberger was going through PTSD after this. And he was struggling because of a number of different things. And he actually now has grown from his experience, just like I have grown from my experience, where some people didn't. So I, I go back to this show with people, you know, everybody's going to have an event in their life that's going to have that you know, critical moment. And the, the statement I t- give them is, those who have the humility to prepare will have the confidence to execute in that moment. So it's all about all the, all the preparation all your whole life. And that's why I made the book Moments Matter. It's all these moments in our life that we don't think matter really do add up. And one day we'll make a difference. Yes, they do. Absolutely. Couldn't uh, couldn't agree with you more on that, Dave. So, you know, one of my favorite adages, which is very much aligned with what we're just talking about right now, is, you know, rock bottom has built more heroes than privilege. I completely believe that. What would you be your thoughts on that, Dave? No, I agree. I think you've you got to hit that hit that moment, that threat, with that threshold moment. That, like you hear Tony Robbins talks about, that's what he talks about. Is when you, you've got to hit that moment when you got to make a decision. In your life, and sometimes it comes. You know, a lot of times, it's not because you've made a, a million dollars in a day. It's because mm-hmm. you've hit rock bottom. 
And those people at rock bottom now can only go one way is up. And can only, you know, they face that moment because you're given that opportunity to grow. So I think, yeah, I think you definitely grow more and you, you achieve more because how many people have you seen come over from all over the world, whether it's Canada or the United States, who immigrated and all of a sudden have nothing, but all of a sudden are now millionaires or billionaires? Yeah. Because they hit, they hit rock bottom and they had to figure a way out and they didn't take no for an answer because they knew that they, they, they had to get it done. They made it a must in their life. Absolutely. And I reference that, you know, we talk the same language, maybe use, uh, you know, semantics, maybe being a bit different. But, you know, I talk about non-negotiables. Once you get very clear on what your non-negotiables are, then there is no plan B. There's no contingency plan. There's no options. And so that's my approach to life. And I think it's the approach that a lot of people embody in terms of becoming notable household names or becoming successful in their relationships or successful in their business or, you know, knowing how to respond in a split second decision where if you don't make the right instinctive decision then a lot of other things can play out completely differently which changes the trajectory of your entire life going forward um so yeah i mean once you get firm on your non-negotiables once you get very clear on okay it's non-negotiable that i'm going to go out there and i'm going to embrace the fact that every day is a gift and not every day is going to go according to plan things are going to happen unbeknownst to me not everything's going to be in my control but how i respond how i react truly truly is and that's the defining moment and i think that's what defines character as well Um, you have to you have to burn the boats you know, you make yeah. that movie, burn the boat. Oh, I back. love that. You know, you know how you many know. times I posted that? You know, yep. you know, you, yep. Yeah, take the island, burn the fucking yep. boats. Yeah, That's exactly. exactly right. Exactly right. So, thank you, Tony Robbins, for that one. <laughs> yep. Uh, um, you know, so going back to what I said at the top of the hour then, Dave, you know, is, I mean, obviously you've, you've when we talk about PTSD, uh, when we talk about crisis moments, triggers, flashbacks, anything of the sort that falls within that umbrella or spectrum, you know, do you have moments, of course, with you guests speaking all over the world, uh, which I cited in the bio at the top of the hour, you know, is there any trepidation or a flashback moment when you have to board a plane? Not, not when I have to board a plane because I think now I've, I've the thing that's changed for me on that because I get to ask that question a lot is I'm much more aware when I get on a plane, but there are flashback moments and things that occur that I see whether it's in the news or talking to somebody that all of a sudden will trigger something from that day and all of a sudden I, I have it'll be just like clear as like all of a sudden I'm going back to that that moment in time. So and, and there are times I can still get emotional because I see something. It's usually something when somebody does something outstanding because that's what happened that day. People stood out. And the reason it still is remembered because people stepped up and stood out. And that's when I see somebody do that, that unbelievable situation, I get a little emotional because I know it's feeling. I know the feeling of it. And mm-hmm. I know that, that people need to experience that because once you experience that, it's like you know that what's possible in your life. You know that it's possible. All you got to do is figure the strategy out. Absolutely. And so going back to that day, when that happened, that transpired for you, you know, was it a out of body experience? Was it surreal? Did you just kind of automatically go and respond in pilot mode, automatic mode? Like, what? What can you maybe walk us through a little bit about the timing of what happened and what your thoughts were? If you can even recall exactly what your yeah. thoughts were, and and just walk us through that. Yeah, I'll quickly do that because there were different things that happened throughout, of course, that six to seven minute period and then the post period in the water. So, you know, nothing was extraordinary at first. You know, I just thought the plane lost an engine. But when the captain said, if you saw the movie, Sully, he said it, 
this is your captain brace for impact. That was the moment that I, and I think pretty much everybody else knew that this is pretty, not going to probably turn out very well. And then your, your mindset goes to, well, number one, I need to get myself straight and stay straight with my creator because if I'm not coming back, I don't want to, I don't want to have any differences from me and my creator at this point in time. And that was, I think a lot of people had a similar situation that, uh, you know, this is probably not going to turn out. I better get some clarity pretty quick. But I tell, and I don't talk about this much, but it's in that last moment. It was about 60 to 70 seconds after he crossed over the George Washington Bridge until we crashed into the river. That was the moment that I tell people I, I had tremendous clarity in my life. It's like a movie running of your life in your mind. And I've talked to other survivors from other incidents that had a very similar situation that they, that all of a sudden, when they think you're going to die, you see everything from your life with such this distinction. Also, you know why you're here. Mm-hmm. And so, so when you're, you know, when you're going down, it's like, if I don't come back, at least I knew why I was here. But if I come back, now I know what I need to do with it. But that's part one. Part two was getting out of the plane. And candidly, my, my game plan, at least, it was not to be the last passenger off. My game plan was to get to the aisle, get up, and get out. Mm-hmm. But when I got to the aisle, that's when the second sort of shift in my mindset. Because my mom, who had passed away in 1997, I, she said was talking to me in my head. And what I heard her say to me was, if you do the right thing, God will take care of you. Wow. And, and one of the things I tell people, one of the great things about my mother is she, she would never tell us what to do. She would make us make a choice. And hopefully the choice is the right choice. But mm-hmm. she'd make us make a choice, and the choice I made is to go to the back of the plane and see if anybody needed help. And that's how I became the last passenger out. So my mother, you know, there's a lesson I have to tell these kids, and I talk to youth, is these things that your parents and people tell you, that your elders tell you, you think they're maybe not worth a dime right now, all of a sudden they may be come back to you 30, 40 years now. I was like, you know what? Maybe what I was being told I needed for this moment. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened to me. So, uh, you know, that yeah, that was the moment that changed, and then I got to the door. And then, you know, I was going to get out like everybody else on the wing, but there was no room on the wing of the boat for me. And that's why I was in the plane seven minutes waist deep in 36-degree Fahrenheit water, you know, holding on to the lifeboat because I couldn't get out. That's how I became the last passenger out. And candidly, I didn't know that happened until I was on Good Morning America. And they showed a picture. <laughs> they showed a picture of me, and I, I showed this picture. Here I am hanging out of the plane with water up my back, holding on to the lifeboat. I'm like, wow, this is, where, this is, this is, this is amazing because that's when I realized, wow. That is incredible. And, and all these things were happening. And so there were so many critical, those, those make or break moments that happened for me. And I tell people there are two distinct things. Getting the plane down, the captain and the captain Sullenberg and Scouts get all the credit. But the, when the plane's down, getting people out of the plane was the passengers and the crew. It was a total team effort. It was, it was a blueprint for how to do teamwork and leadership uh, in a six minute period. Beautiful. Now, when you were about to depart the plane yourself, when you were the last person out, you know, leading up to that, because people often talk about when they're in those types of situations, call it near death, just call it really surreal, like this has never happened, you can't even fathom it, you can't even process it. People sometimes say and, and recount the most um, – I don't like the word weird, but there's just things that stand out in that moment, whether it be somebody else's facial expression, whether it's a child latching a teddy bear or, you know, was there any last thing that just kind of has stuck with you as an imprint when you remember the last moments before departing the plane? Most definitely. And I actually talked about this because this was a very distinctive moment for, for me and I think a few other people. So what, one of the things that stood out and probably the the thing I talk about the most is there's a lady standing in the middle of the wing with a baby. 
And she, I found out later she actually had two kids on the place. She had a three-year-old who was sitting on a lifeboat, but she was holding on to a three-month-old. And I, I, when I sort of swung around and looked at her, she looked at me, and I, and I knew she was startled. She was scared, but she wasn't moving. And candidly, no one was walking around her. And I was thinking, how am I going to get out of here? She's mm-hmm. standing in the middle of the wing, and no one's moving. So, I, you know, all the training that I had with Tony and all this is, and, and, and people do this all the time. If you're in a group situation, so there's moments when everybody goes into that trance where no one wants to say anything. They don't know what to do. They're just locked. Mm-hmm. And how do you get out of that? You can do something radical to break them out of that. So I yelled at her, throw the baby. And, wow. And Kaylee, I didn't think she was going to throw a baby. That wasn't my game plan. But what what happened was she, I got her attention and she looked at me. And that was the moment that was stuck in my mind. She looked right at me. It's like, I, I, what are you talking about, crazy man? But then there was a lady on the lifeboat that said, give me the baby. She gave her the baby, and she jumped on the lifeboat. And then everybody started walking down the wing. And that that that's what really stood out to me because about, about three, four, four years ago, she sent me a package with a note that said, thank you for helping my family and a picture of the baby to that day. And it's like, yeah, you know, cool. that sort of reminded me of that moment. You know, maybe that was the moment I needed and she needed just sort of to um, sort of get clarity on what, what, we're, what we're doing that day because – she uh, she was scared, and mm-hmm. all I did was break her pattern that day. And I tell people all these things I learned came into play at that moment, and I just I put them into play. Fantastic. So when you talk about the twelve pillars, for people who aren't familiar with Tony Robbins, and you'd have to be pretty much living underneath a rock um, <laughs> to not to not know who Tony Robbins is. But you know, can you maybe identify what some of those are, or which out of the the twelve were most key and pivotal for you that particular day? Yeah, there's there's twelve that I, I talk about, and what not only I did, but other people did. Whether it's awareness or faith, or you know, I talk a lot about certainty now because that's what people right now are looking for: certainty. Yes. Or, or state management, and I do have a whole series on sensory acuity, on how to you know how to communicate in the modality of the person you're with, and like we're talking now, mm-hmm. and I give people examples how not only I use it that day, but how I use it in my relationship with my wife that changed my relationship 180 degrees. So I talk about these, there's 12 different ones, but the sensory acuity, the one that I think is the one that could be most impactful, not only for people on their, on their personal level, but also business level. And as I talked about, there's, there's five primary modalities, but three modalities people communicate in, whether it's auditory, visual, or kinesthetic. Mm-hmm. And, and that day, you know, I was in a very visual mode. I'm a visual communicator. I talk a lot, focus, I focus, I talk in terms of visual where I see things. Where people, you know, that day, there were a lot of people that day, modality or auditory. So that's why I just mentioned I yelled at the lady. Yeah. But she needed auditory command. She was an auditory person, and that's how I got her attention. So this this one little thing I talk about, the, the, the precept of sensory acuity and communicating in the modality of the person you want to build rapport with is critical not only when you come into crisis situations, of course, but also in relationships. And it can change your you can change your relationship with your spouse or your significant other dramatically if you understand how they communicate and you go in that modality communicating with them. So now all of a sudden you're symbiotic, you're in rapport, and you can get so much more accomplished than being uh, like my wife is auditory and visual, and that was causing a lot of problems in our relationship. <laughs> you know, and as soon as I started say, you know, practice what you preach, Dave, right? Put it into yeah. play. Mm-hmm. That changed, but now I go auditory with my wife and. She can talk for 30 minutes and not take a breath, and I'll just sit there and say, yep, I understand. And all of a sudden, <laughs> everything is good with the world, right? Where before, right. it's like, I got it. You don't need to tell me 30 minutes. I got it after 30 seconds, right? So, yeah. So that's Amazing. one of the precepts I talk a lot about. Amazing. 
And so as a result of that day, because that's a, that's a unique kinship bond that will stay for all of you for the rest of your lives. But is there any opportunity or are there perhaps maybe some out of the whole bunch of you who are more consistently in touch, keeping in touch with each other, keeping each other apprised of daily updates or using each other as a benchmark for support, knowing that there is nobody else within the world who can perhaps relate to that particular experience that they seek you out for? It's a very close group, and I close group, and uh, we have a Yahoo group that when something happens, like we just had the first passenger who passed away uh, with three weeks ago in Jacksonville, and so we have a little group that we can be communicating, commiserate on. But there's really two or three people that I really stay in contact with. First is the gentleman who's in the hospital with me. His name's Barry Leonard. If you saw the movie, he was depicted by the gentleman who jumped out the door on the right into the water and was swimming towards yeah. New York. Now, he and I were in the hospital together. We were the two people stayed the night in the hospital. Um, and he um, he was the first passenger out, and I was the last passenger out, which was very, very ironic. And we live a mile apart. So um, he and I stay in contact. But interestingly enough, Captain Stellenberger and I have become pretty good friends because not only do we share the same birthday, so we get to talk on, on our birthday together, <laughs> but, um, you know, we, we do a lot of events. And, you know, he is with CBS. I've done a lot with CBS in New York, and he, he is the aviation expert for CBS. Mm-hmm. So he and I uh, stay in communication. And then Jeff Skiles, the first officer, and I see the flight attendants likewise uh, when I fly. Two of them are still flying. I've flown with both of them since, which has been very, very cool. And some of the other passengers, we stay in contact sporadically. But I would say Barry from the passenger side and I are, are probably the closest. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And so looking back on the course of your whole journey, uh, and maybe this has changed interchangeably throughout the course of your life, but who have been some of your tangible, intangible mentors? I talk a lot about my first mentor. Um, yeah, Tony Robbins is still my mentor. I still, He and I still have a tremendous relationship, and um, you know, he'll be my mentor for my life. But my first mentor, his name was Bill. And, unfortunately, Bill passed away a few years ago. Um, but Bill, when I first got to Charlotte, uh, I was in restaurant management and at that point in time. And I wanted to be a leader, and I was a young buck, right? I was, what, 24, 25. I had the whole world's in front of me. I could conquer anything. But Bill came into my life, and I met Bill. And, you know, when I first met Bill, Bill wore a flannel shirt and drove a pickup truck. Yeah, <laughs> That's all I knew about Bill. But as Bill and I started talking and building a relationship, I found out Bill owned 80 movie theaters in North and South Carolina. Wow. Bill, Bill was a multimillionaire. And Bill was like the Sam Walton of Charlotte. He was a guy that you never know who's a millionaire. Yeah. He, uh, he had more money than shake a stick at. And, and this, this one thing he did, and then I, and I'll tell you a substantive thing. He, he took me outside. He said, I want to show you something. And he bought, it was a brand new blue Corvette. He said, I bought this for my wife and for, for her birthday. I want you to take a ride in and tell me what you think of it. Man, this is great because I've never been in a Corvette, right? He said, uh-huh. you need one of these. Get in the car, right? So I got in the car. I said, make sure it's pointing the right direction because as soon as you hit that thing, it's going. Uh-huh. And he said, he told me, he said, you need one of these. I'm saying, Bill, I can't afford hardly to pay rent right now. I love to have one, but I can't afford it. He said, one day you will. Just let me share, share with you the strategies and things you need to do as a young man. So he took me under his wing. And one day I called Bill because he offered me that opportunity. And this is what I tell this is one of the reasons I'm telling you this is everybody listening. To find a mentor who say, let me help you, they will help you. Because he, I called him one day. I said, Bill, I want to be a leader. How does someone become a business leader? And he gave me a bits of wisdom. He said, if you want to be anything in your life, Dave, put yourself around the peer group you want to be like. And yes. that elevates you that standard. Mm-hmm. So I said, how can I do that? 
I'm, I'm young. How can I fast track this thing? I said, well, I'll go to a business seminar for business leaders. And I paid $4,000 to go to this thing in San Diego, California. My wife thought I was crazy because we were having our first kid. And I said, four grand to go to San Diego? Yeah, right. You know, so she's like, yeah, go, go do your little thing, Dave, right? All so right. I went out there and I saw the agenda said to go do a mission statement. And I did it on October 4th, 1994. I wrote this. I, Dave Sanderson, see, hear, feel, and know. The purpose of my life is to be happy, realize I accomplish anything I desire, and have faith in my creator, inspiring others to be the same. And I yeah. put it down. And the guy said, don't look at it for six to nine months. You just change this, immerse into it. So I said, you know what? I paid 4000 bucks. I'm all in. I'll do exactly what this dude says. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, I'm looking at him like I'm a loser. <laughs> I'm not doing any of this, right? I, I, I'm a bunch of talk. I'm no walk. I can't tell my wife. But I tell people, all of a sudden, 15 years later, you know, on January 5th of 2009, that mission became realized at that mm-hmm. moment. And like I said, we started. Maybe it took me 15 years just to sort of get myself together to be able to realize. I hadn't earned the right to, to live that mission yet, but then I earned the right that day, and now I'm living it every day. Lovely. That's well, that and I, That's amazing. And that's, you know, I really want to impress upon that for the listening audience or for people who can't join us live, but we'll uh, play back the encore once the podcast link is uploaded. Um, but, you know, a lot of people, they think that things have to be instantaneous, you know, and this is where people get in their own way. This is where people end up really messing up their own mindset because if things aren't happening overnight, if not everything is a yes, if it's not happening in succession, if the momentum is not clearly rapid, then people think, okay, well, who am I to think that, you know, I deserve to be on this path? Even if I haven't figured it all out, what gives me the right to think that there's something special about me? And I I say to people, as I've said to myself, and I think this is why it's very important given that we are with ourselves 24-7, it doesn't matter who our tangible or intangible mentors are. At the end of the day, if you can't be what you need to be to yourself, good luck being able to retain anything that anyone says to you for the long term. So, you know, you really do have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. You really do have to go, okay, you know, I just need to make traction and put one foot in front of each other the next day, every day. And, you know, if you're always looking at how can I be part of the solution and if you look at how can I help other people, because this is why you're on my show, Dave. Not only are, do you truly embody living fearlessly, but you clearly have always throughout the course of your life been somebody who looks to pay it forward and be of service to other people. And so when you start thinking outside of yourself, get out of your own head and go, this is a big planet. Everyone's got problems. Everyone's got needs. What can I do to help assist other people? That's boom, bang, where you start to align. That's where the clarity kicks in. That's where you understand your purpose, your passion. And that's where the opportunities and the right people you want to align with, talking about the right five people or the 10 people, that's where it shows up. So I really want to say thank you for for continually impressing upon the 15 years of 15 years because you never gave up and you never lost sight, right? Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Because one of the things with challenges I see, especially with young people now, is exactly what you just said. They want immediate gratification. Yes. And I I try to impress upon them, you know, have you earned the right? I mean, sometimes you haven't earned the right to, to have what you want just yet. So I, I agree with you, that, that, that number one. I think you've done a lot of charity work, I know, in your past and what you've done in your 20 years. And, and Kaylee, you know, it's, it's all about giving back. And, yes. And I, and, I, and I talk about it in my TED Talk, and the biggest change in my life, Lisa, if I can take just 30 seconds, is, is my worldview. Because I tell people, I said, the, what I realized is I was pretty judgmental before that. I would probably judge things pretty quickly. But I, what I realized that day is I, I didn't know any of these people's backstories were on the plane. 
Maybe they had some challenges that I didn't know about. Maybe they acted the way they did because of their backstories. And once I made that distinction and changed my worldview, it's like, you know, I, I have no basis of judging people. Yes. Maybe I just, maybe I need to stop judging people. And all of a sudden, what you just said came true for me and opened all these new relationships. So I said, you know what? It's all about giving forward, paying it forward, working. And, and, and once I learn somebody's back story, then I may have an opportunity. But until I know that, you know, I need to open my mind up. And that changed everything in my life, that, that one distinction. Lovely. Absolutely lovely. And so, you know, another thing that I talk about too, and I, and I say this because I want it to segue into the question I'm going to ask you. You know, one of my daily mantras, something I say consistently, whether I'm posting on social media, whether I'm talking on radio, TV, wherever, whatever the platform, whatever the vehicle, I always encourage people, be your own hero, be your own shiro, be your own leader. Because if you treat yourself like a second class citizen, you're never going to be in a position to honor your gifts that you, I believe everybody is bestowed and, and gifted that, that we embody. Body, we just don't always necessarily tap into it to be able to radiate and, and emanate that out into the world. You know, so if you keep working on yourself, if you keep getting very clear with your mindset, if you figure out what some of your rituals are, what your proclamations are, whatever works for you to recalibrate and readjust so that you can maximize your 24 hours that you're gifted here today, wow, won't that make an impactful difference for the rest of the world? So I would like to know, Dave, for you, what are some of your daily mantras or your rituals or your daily practices that really keep you on the straight and narrow and honoring who you are? Well, I appreciate you asking that because there's a couple things that I do every day without without changing. Number one, and I started this probably now 20 years ago when I heard I was with Tony Robbins. I was assistant head of security for him then, and he he called on a lady in the audience, and the lady just stood up and said. Tony, I want, I want to say a prayer for your health every day because if you don't have your health, you're not going to be able to serve. And I just want to pray for your health. And he really got, excuse me, got emotional. Uh, yeah, he gets emotional, but I mean, he, I'm saying he's truly emotional because I don't think anybody ever prays for somebody's health. So, mm-hmm. so at that point on, I said, you know what? I need to do that for me. So every day I get up and I stretch and I do, I do my physical activity first because that gets myself, I know at that point I'm ready to rock and roll for the day, and my body is ready to, to give as much as I need to give that day. I also say, go back and say my mission statement to myself every day. I, always, I repeat that. I pray every day, every morning before I start. And, and Kaylee, those are the two or three things I do every day without fail to get gets my mind and my body ready to serve for that day, whatever mode I'm going to serve, whether it's on stage or, or with you or somebody else. Beautiful. Well, let me ask you this as well, Dave. So, I mean, clearly you're, I mean, you you can't become more of a public figure out in the public eye than somebody like yourself with the story that, you know, is global news, international news. Everybody knows about it. Um, But what do people not know about you? Well, I think some people don't know about me is, um, you know, I I grew up in a small town. And candidly, I, I had a lot of small town values. And when my father moved, and he told us we were moving. I was very upset. And it's because, you know, I got you get used to that small town. Everybody knows what you're doing. But, you know, like I said, everything happens for a reason and a purpose. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of, th- you know, a lot of things that people don't know about me is that, you know, I was involved with a lot of a lot of you know, activities with the Red Cross and hospitals when I was growing up. So this, this just came naturally for me to be able to give back like you, your 20 years of public service and your charity work. Um, so I think that's the one thing is I came from very humble roots. And candidly, you know, I, you know, I, it took me a while. We talked about delayed gratification. It took me a while to figure it out. But uh, I, I, I put, always want to put myself, and I started this when I was young, and I put myself around very successful people. 
Mm-hmm. And the thing, one of the things my dad told me when I was a kid, probably 10 or 11, 12 years old, is he said, you know, you don't have to have everything, but you have to have access to everything. Yes. And, and I didn't realize what he meant then, but what he meant then is you don't need to have physically everything, but if you have, you know, have the right connections and know the right people, you can accomplish anything in your life. And that's, that was the one thing that other people understood about my father. He taught, he teaches me these life lessons and all of a sudden came true that I tell, you know, these kids, I said, listen, when your old man or mom say something to you, just retain it. They're mm-hmm. telling you for a reason, right? And mm-hmm. so I think there's a couple of things that people really don't know about me, but you know, I, I just, I grew up in that mode of just, uh, you know, I wanted to give and, and, you know, I went through that time in my life, like everybody did, which was about, about personal significance. And I look back and I, I looked at myself as a failure at that point. And I, I looked at how could I be so selfish? Because I wasn't giving, it was all about me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was not me. And I, that's why, you know, when Tony said, talks about being incongruent, yeah, incongruent with my life. And that's why I was so miserable. And that's what I see with people today. People who are incongruent with their, with their, their personal, you know, their, their, their life and belief systems are the ones who are miserable in their lives. So, um, you know, I, I went through that dark time when, when I was 20, 21, 22, where it was personal significance and, and Canley, nothing was coming to me. It, everything mm-hmm. was hard because it was all about me. Mm-hmm. That, now, when I made the shift, you know, the life opened up because like in the Bible says, you give, it comes back tenfold. And it does. Lovely. Well, you know, I appreciate you sharing uh, what you just shared with us because now I see a little bit of a connection and a parallel between your dad and Tony Robbins because what does Tony say? Your, your dad used different language, but it's the same principle. What is the number one resource for everybody if you want to tap into it that's going to make you successful and offer you purpose? It's resourcefulness. Right? right. Resourcefulness. Right. So, I mean, you, you kind of learned that message very early on from your dad, and that was just reiterated from Tony Robbins. Uh, right. So so how true is that? Yeah, that's a great – I talk about the, the level – the resourcefulness was the key thing that happened that day. It was yes. Because no, you realize – here's one thing that people don't realize when you're going down the plane crash, unless you've been in a plane crash, is when that's happening, you have no control. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have no control except for you got where you control your mind, and you got to be very resourceful at that point in time because you have zero resources except your mind. So you right. got to tap into those resources that you do have instead of looking what you don't have. So many people look what they don't have every day instead of looking what they do have, and that's what we talked about at the beginning. Is these people coming, these immigrants coming with nothing? They have nothing, but they get resourceful, and that's the key strategy. What you just said, Tony teaches everybody that a lot of people don't implement. Well, and it's 100% true, you know, like everybody who, you know, is an author or a podcaster or anybody who's had an experience where they can have the firsthand experience to attach to what they're saying, it's very true. You know, the more you focus on is what's going to show up in your life. And so you have the choice, as we all do, to focus and err on the side of positivity or the side of negativity. And one is love and one is fear. And so if you keep, if your thoughts keep gravitating towards the lack or the deficit or uh, being in the red and all this kind of stuff, well, what do you think is going to continually show up in your life because that's that's energetically what you're emitting out into the universe and the universe responds to what we ask for whether we're whether we're asking for it subconsciously or we're verbalizing it and articulating it to an actual person or where that's what we're journaling or those are the thoughts that we carry around inside our head every day so you know you want to change the results and see different things show up you got to change the way you dialogue with yourself 
That's exactly right, and that's one of the reasons I'm now I am honored to work with in a, with a group in Atlanta. It's called the Perfect Plan, a group of four people. One of those people is Dominique Wilkins, who used to play for the Atlanta Hawks. He's a Hall of Famer, and we come together. To, this is exactly what you just said. Is that mindset of the one percent people who are the best? What's that mindset level? And so we're, we put this group together, and we're doing workshops now, just teaching these people what does it take to be like a one percent athlete, that Hall of Fame mindset. What does it take to survive a plane crash or survive a tragedy and do something with it? And, mm-hmm. and so we've taken four very unique people who have been through these mindsets of, the, of outstanding and put them together. So I'm, I am honored that you, you just said that, but exactly the word, the direction I'm taking right now is a group called The Perfect Plan. Beautiful. Beautiful. See, and there's a lot of synergies here, and it's yeah. based on my principal core belief, too, that there's no coincidences. I don't believe in coincidences. You know, I believe it's all purpose-driven. Um, so... You know, in terms of leadership, and I do talk about this quite often because I have had a lot of leaders on the show, people who are demonstrating that, emitting that, embodying that, and that being incorporated into their DNA um, in terms of their branding, their messaging, their purpose. So, you know, there's a lot of contradictory, hypocritical-type messages out there surrounding the word leadership. Um, what does leadership mean to you, Dave? Well, I appreciate that because um, I'll, give you, I'll share with that through a story, and you know, back in 1999, I had the honor and privilege of escorting a gentleman named General Norman Schwarzkopf, who mm-hmm. was the leader in Iraq, the four-star general, and yes. I had the honor to be, to be with him and basically escort him when we were in Hawaii. And I, I asked him a question. I said, General, may I ask you a question? He looked at me and said, are you just asking what you really want to know? And at first, I was a little intimidated, right? It's like, whoa, I just, you know, it's like, this guy's a four-star general. I am impeding on his territory. He goes, go ahead. I said, how did you win the war in Iraq? Mm-hmm. And he, like I tell people, he, you know, he, all these people of your celebrity level now, they have their pat answer. They'll just, they'll just blurt it out. They know exactly. But then I said, can I ask you another question? He said, no one ever asked a general a second question. <laughs> and he looked at me. It's like, it's pretty audacious, right? He said, but go ahead. And I asked him, I said, how did you really win the war in Iraq? Mm. And he looked at me and he looked at me like, whoa, I've never been asked. He said, I'll tell you how I won the war in Iraq. He said, every day I go into the, the theater and people would come to me with their problems. People would say, women can drive tanks in Saudi Arabia. You just found out recently women could be able to drive in Saudi Arabia. He said, people had to pray five times a day. Women had to cover their faces and heads. And I kept reminding my troops, how does this contribute to kicking Saddam out of the way? He said, all I did every day as a leader, remind people of the mission. And all of a sudden I'm thinking, that's probably one of the best way to define a leader is the person who who has the vision to set the mission, step back, let everybody execute, put the right resources together to execute, course correct when you need to, but really reminding people of the mission. And I'll, I'll just back that up because a couple of weeks ago I had the honor to speak with a bishop here uh, in, the, in, in the Methodist Church, and we were talking about a few things about leadership. And he said the one thing he always did as a bishop, and this, I said, this is perfect for me. I said, I said, I always remind people what the main thing is, is the main thing. I kept, I, I said, every day I just remind people, this is the main thing we're talking about. And because people want to get off on the issue. Great leaders, I've realized, set the mission. Focus on the main thing and keep people reminded of that. That's how I define how I look at the leadership and how I try to teach people about the lessons of leadership. Lovely. Lovely, Dave. Well, I appreciate you sharing that with myself and the listeners for sure. Um, you know, being cognizant of time, and of course, these interviews always go much too quickly for my liking, but uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you the question, what are you most grateful for? Well, 
you know, what I'm most grateful for now is having the time to be able to, to, to really understand why I'm here. And the reason I say that is uh, the one thing I realized after the plane crash is I was focusing my time pretty much on my business. You know, mm-hmm. I, and, I, and I realized I was modeling my father. My father traveled a lot like I did. He was never hurting. We were never hurting. But I missed a lot of things with my family. And what I realized after the plane crash is I have gratitude for it now is having me able to have my time and make and focus my time on my family first and everything else second. Where it was totally 180 degrees before then. And, and now, if you, if I had something, Lisa Kayla, if I had something to do right now with my family, you and I won't be talking right now. Right. We do family first. So that I have most gratitude to be able to have the time to be able and focus on making sure my family comes first. Fantastic. Beautiful. And so as a result of how your life has has morphed into a a different direction, but all aligned with your true purpose and it taking 15 years for that to catch up, um, how are things normalized, not normalized as a result of, you know, people knowing your name, people knowing that you're taking the stage, people knowing, you know, having watched the movie Sully and and, and knowing this is an event in history that will always go on and and be talked about uh, throughout the course of history and the course of time. So, you know, are things normalized for you and your family? Well, that's a great question. I think for the most part, yes, but one thing my wife notices uh, when we're out is people recognize me, and she's very uncomfortable with that. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I understand that. She has a whole different experience, but I think – um, and around Charlotte is pretty good, but we're, when I, we travel other places and people recognize me from either speaking or seeing me on a TV interview or whatever, and they come up to me and talk to me and approach me, she has a very uncomfortable feeling. So I think that's not normal for my wife. Uh, <laughs> kids love it, but my wife really doesn't like it. But I think that's the part that's really not normalized yet, but everything else I think is come into play. And of course, if you know, if you start your own business, nothing's normal because everything changes every day. Absolutely. Uh, response for the whole thing. So I have, I have a total life of uncertainty in my life of business. Yeah. Okay. Lovely. Um, so again, being cognizant of time, you know, I would like to know what's, what's on the horizon for you. I know it's obviously, it's very important for you to be grounded and to be focused on the here and now and not taking anything for granted, but also as somebody who is a leader for somebody who has such an important message that they wish to impart to the rest of the world and to continually connect with other people and that being part of your, your purpose, what's on the horizon for you? Well, thank you for asking because um, I definitely still want to keep the impact to people. It is my mission right now and you know, will be for the rest of my life. But since I did my TED Talk, Lisa, I think you know, my mission sort of is, is evolved where I really love talking now, uh, especially whether it's to groups or individuals, about, about you know, PTGS, how to grow from a traumatic life experience. Because the pain I'm seeing right now, especially in the United States with what's going on here, um, there's so many people in pain right now because of the meaning they're attaching to a lot of things. So the way I'm looking to grow is, number one, speaking more around post-traumatic growth, how to grow instead of going to a depressed state. I will be writing another book out in the next probably 12 to 18 months about that subject, uh, which I'm really excited about. And also my, my program with Dominique and, and Don and Brittany about the perfect plan on the, sharing these 1% mind, the mindset of these 1% outstanding people and leaders on how to do these things at the highest level. And that's not that difficult. It's just changing your mindset on a few things. So those are three or four things I'm really passionate about uh, as I speak and travel around the world. And my goal is once again to go around the world right now. I've 
Yeah, I just got back from Canada. Like I mentioned, I spent a week in Canada. Um, and, and next year I'm going to Australia and New Zealand. So taking this message around the world is one of my other major goals right now. Lovely. Well, I certainly wish you continued success with that. And I'm so happy to hear that, you know, you're living your purpose and, and doing so many great things to pay it forward and to be of service. And we're very fortunate to still have you with us, Dave. And I want to thank you for the gift of your time and for all the wonderful nuggets you've imparted to both myself and the listeners. Uh, I take notes. I, I sponge up from the best. Uh, and you're a class act all the way, my friends. So I just want to say thank you once again. And uh, to my listening audience, I want to thank you for taking time to tune into my show. This is Lisa McDonald, Living Fearlessly with the Contact Talk Radio Network. Listenership, again, is 145 countries, 220 TV radio terrestrial satellites, and the potential for millions of iTunes downloads. I also want to thank C-Suite Radio Network, who I'm partnered with. I have a host page over there. All live interviews on the podcast get uploaded to my host page over there. And I want to thank the 330,000 Living Fearlessly podcast subscribers. It really means a lot to me to know that we're bringing value to you, that my guests and myself, our message our purpose here is resonating with you. I want to encourage you to fear less and to live more. We'll do this again next Friday. Love and gratitude to all. Take care and all my best. Take care, Dave. Love to you and the family. Same to you. You've been listening to Living Fearlessly with your host, Lisa McDonald. Visit her at lisamcdonaldauthor.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.